Namaste Media Production. Hey! Welcome to the Pot of Gold podcast series where we focus on people and businesses within the mining industry with the objective to extract nuggets of wisdom and practical business advice. I'm your host, Jacques Besson. If you're keen to listen to some more SME-focused podcast uh, series, check out Best Crush. And if Afrikaans is your thing, check out Clipcoish, which focuses on Afrikaans SMEs. Dr. Anna-Marie Volmerans has enjoyed and at times had to endure a remarkable journey in the mining industry. With a PhD in informatics degree, which focuses on mine closures, she is currently IT manager at Exoro Resources, having started at the company more than 30 years ago as a stand-in typist. Anna-Marie's career progressed rapidly because she describes herself as a quick learner who is curious, inquisitive and wants to understand processes. As an expert in life planning too, she is passionate about training to create possibilities for other people, specifically women in mining, and to simply help them achieve something better in life. Tell us about, uh, more about yourself. I mean, obviously, I'm keen to hear about your journey up to where we're sitting in Alice Russ. Okay. So, I grew up in Palapurva. Um, I met my husband there while we were in high school. Um, and from there, um, we moved to Zanin. We got married just after we moved to Zanin. Were you involved with, with agriculture? No, uh, not at all. So, um, I worked at the SINDF for... Um, two years, a bit more than two years, almost three years, um, where I was a clerk um, in the HR department. And from there, um, when we moved to Zanin, um, the only job that I could get was to work in a jewelry store, as a salesperson in a jewelry store. Yeah. So um, I think that was the job in my career that I liked the, the least. It was not a nice job. It was over Christmas. It was standing the whole day, um, you know, having difficult customers, People with money sometimes think they can be not so advisor. You don't have to have manners. <laughs> yes, like that. Um, but luckily, I worked there for two months, and then I got a job um, at a um, accountant, um, also as a clerk, um, doing a, you know helping with account, doing people's accounting for them, and so forth. Um, I, what was his surname, if I may ask? And this is a long shot. Yakudavit. <laughs> Okay, because I've got a, actually I've got a friend, Tanin. I need to. He's got a funny herfur, but his dad's an accountant, and he and he and he built and Tanin, and he oh, built okay. up over the years. Okay. So yeah. anyway, it's like yeah. not like Tanin. It's not a one yeah. horse town. Right? So I also only worked there for three months, um, and then I I got a job, a half um, a half day job, at Agrico Machinery, which is um, building. Um, Pivots, you know, the, those big machines that do the watering on the farms? for the Yes, day. yes. Yeah. So that was what they did. So I got a job there, um, a half-day job, for the same salary that I got for a full-day job. <laughs> so I took the job um, and I moved there. And, and it was a, a nice job. It was really um, nice circumstances, nice people that I worked with and, and um, really happy there. Um, and then at the end of that year, um, I'm now talking of 1987 actually, um, my husband, who is an electrician or was an electrician at that point in time, um, also got a job there at, at the same company, Agrico Machinery, yes. Um, and then I 
we were only two ladies there, admin ladies, um, and the other lady was a much older lady, and she had children in school still and so forth. So she asked me to swap with her. So there was the permanent job and the um, part-time, or no, not part-time, the half-day job. So I swapped her for the full-day job. So I started working full-day again, and my husband was also working there, so it worked out nicely so we could travel together and, you know, and so forth. Um, so we worked there for uh, um, three years. And then, but while we were working there, um, even when we started working, my, my husband did his apprenticeship at Foscor in Palaborva, a mining company. Um, and then he got the job um, at Agriku afterwards, um, after qualifying. And he always said he wanted to come back to the mining industry or go back to the mining industry eventually because he believes that's where the opportunities lie. Um, so we worked there for about two and a half years. Um, and then the opportunity came um, for an um, electrician job at Grutegeluk Coal Mine. Um, so I resigned my job and we moved to Lepe, what, what is now Lepalali, Alice Ross. Um, and he had, the, you know, he had the job, the electrician job on the mine. What, what, what did Alice Ross look like back then? It was a tiny, tiny little town. Um, Farm, a typical farming. It was a farming community. Uh, I would say the farming head office. Yeah. So, um, there was one, only Matimba Power Station at that point in time, and Grutegeluk, but much smaller than now. We've got 10 plants at this point in time. At that point in time, um, if I remember correct, we had like four plants, three plants. When we, Good heavens, when so we got here. three yeah. times. Yeah, so it, it, since we got here, but we've been here for 32 years, so it's wow. quite, quite, quite a while. Um, so... Um, so, I'm, you know, I came with Yaku, my husband, and um, without having a job at that point in time. Um, and, but we decided, you know, that this is a, a long-term move, sort yes, of. So, yes, so yes. we will do it. Um, and then I interviewed for a job as a typist in a typing pool on the mine. But the younger people will not know what a typing pool is. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> so, those days, um, they, uh, people did not have computers. Um, so if you wanted to do a memo or a letter or whatever, you wrote it by hand and uh, then you brought it to the typing pool. I see. And there were three ladies. So it's like a typing department. Yeah, it's the, we were three ladies and they, um, I, they then type it out for you and then you come and collect it in wow. a day or whatever. Okay. This, yeah. So one of the ladies um, had six weeks sick leave. She went, on, she went on sick leave, so they wanted somebody to come and stand in for her. Um, so when I went for the interview, the, the, um, the head of that department asked me, um, can you work with, on a, on a um, word processor? So I said, I've never worked on a word processor before. Um, I can type, but I am, I'm, I'm a quick learner. And then he gave me the job because I said I was a quick learner. <laughs> Those are the best, the best interview of your life, of your career. Yeah, so um, he said I, I convinced him that I will be able to do the okay. job. So that's where I started in XRO as a typist, um, a relief typist as such. My goodness. Um, in the typing pool. So I did my six weeks there, the time that I had to relieve. And in that six weeks, I had the opportunity because I, was, I sort of had my foot in the door at that time to be aware of other jobs that became available, available and, and, you know, um, applying for them. Um, and then eventually I got a, a permanent job at Grofos, which is, which is the technical training center for, for Grote Gelukman, where they, they train the APIs. The, okay. Yeah, the artisans. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I got an admin job there, and, and I started there. I worked there for three months, and then I got a job in engineering on the mine, back on the mine, um, with a bit of a increase and so forth. Um, and I moved to the engineering department as a um, planning 
um, clerk. Okay. Yes. But um, the, is, is this now that you have good planning skills, I take it. Is this something that interests you? It was just a matter of more money, I'll take it, thank you. It was, I, I actually did not know what the job entailed. When oh, so I, when this I applied, is more money, I'll just yeah, go for so, it. Um, now, uh, you know, and, and for me, the important thing was to be physically on the mind because Grufos is in town. So you, you work for Grutteglik, you work for, that time it was still East But you don't have to. Yeah, but, but you don't have the, the connection really with, with the mining industry and, and what's happening on the mine. It's I sort see. of, a community on their own. Got it. You know, away. Got it. Yeah. So um, I think for me, it was more about getting a job physically on the mine than staying at Grufos, which is not, it's part of the mine, but it, it yes. feel, doesn't feel part of yes, the mine. Yes. Why was it important for you to be part of the mine? I believe that I will not uh, get to understand the mining industry um, and the processes and, and um, everything that comes with that while working at Grufos. You know, the, the, uh, Opportunities to learn more about what is happening in the mining industry, what is, what is it really, you know, what does it really entail to work on a mine? Um, those things I would not have learned. Why, why was that important to you? Is that just how your brain works? That's just how my brain works. Um, I'm a very inquisitive person. Um, I want to learn more about a lot of things. I'm also very fond of reading. I read lots of books. Um, and uh, because I'm curious mm. and inquisitive and, and I want to know how things work. That, that, that's just how I am. But other than the fact that that's, that's a great piece of advice for anyone listening, that, that it's good to, to get, uh, it's to, to see the, the bird's eye view, to get perspective of how things interact with one another. And, the, and to understand the processes. Mm. Um, and the mining industry, working on a mine, you know, there's, there's processes um, but to put processes that's unique to the mining industry. Um, it's in every, at every mine, all similar processes. It might differ if it's an underground mine or an open pit mine, but, but those processes are there. But if you don't know them and understand them, um, I think it, it limits you to, to doing your job as good as you can or should. So um, then I got the job in the planning office, as a, as a planning clerk in the planning, planning office, um, what they call primary equipment. So I, I assume you've seen the pictures of the very big trucks that's on in, in an open pit mine, those huge ones, the, yes. whole, the whole trucks. They call them the whole trucks. So um, our job was to schedule services, plant maintenance and things like that for those trucks. That's that what was what the job entailed. So it's uh, fleet management in essence. Yeah, it's it's to an extent. Yeah, to an extent. It's fleet fleet management. Um also send away, you know, if components break, you send them away for repair and, and um you order um spares and yeah. to, to repair them and so it's a it's a lot of things that you do there. But at that time we we still didn't have computer systems as, as we know them today. We had a mainframe system. And I also, I, I know most young people also don't know what is a mainframe system. <laughs> so we had mainframe systems, systems where we only did a few things. You know, we, we, um, we didn't type letters and documents and, and Excel spreadsheets and things that we do now. So you had the one mainframe system was used to order spares. It was a supply chain system. And then the other one was to do the physical, the maintenance. You know, um, where you say, a component, how many hours did the component work before it broke, or, you know, it's now time for life cycle management, you need to replace a component, do planning around that, and so forth. So that was the only two systems that we had. But, but I mean, this was pioneering stuff, not, I mean, especially when it comes to the, the computer systems or software. Yeah, it, it was sort of the, the start of, of that. Um, 
So I worked in engineering for eight years. After, while working um, at that, what they called primary equipment at the chucks with the chucks, the chucks was a, the primary equipment section was a, was a big section. It in, it had all the um, chucks, the whole trucks. Um, there was two different fleet of, fleets of whole trucks, and it also had the shovels and the drills that physically worked in the pit, and it had the secondary equipment which was like the graders and the water trucks that was not. Key to to production, but was also Co- contributed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, contributed. So, and then because of the department growing too big, that they started they decided to split the department into three different departments, which were then only the truck, and they then called it the whole truck department, and the secondary truck, the secondary equipment department, and the shovels and the drills. And I was then moved to the shovels and the drills. Um, for also as same position, but just you know in that department yes. um, as the admin clerk. Um, so after about I think I cannot remember exactly. I think it was about after two years, um, I was appointed as the first um, woman without a trade um, planner um, at at Grutegeluk. Wow. So how it works is if you want to become a planner, you need to have a, a, a trade. Um, you, you, you should have um, passed a trade test and have some experience in being an um, artisan. Yes. So I had obviously had none of that. I had the experience of the planning office and, and you know what comes with that. And when a position became available as a planner um, because of the work that, I've, that I'd done. So at one point, the planner that worked with me resigned and they never replaced him. So I took over his job as ah. such. Um, and then I, I got appointed as the first woman without a trade as a as a planner, and that caused caused a, a lot of unhappiness between, especially the men um, and, and the artisans, people that had a trade. Yes, uh, um, because I'm assuming for, 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 for some of these guys applied for for the job. Yes, and um, so. You know, those days we all belonged to a union of some sort. So I also belonged to a union. And at some, at one point, my own union was fighting by appointment. Really? Um, because the, because of the means. Okay, so it doesn't get much worse than that. <laughs> yeah. So I had to phone them and say, listen, but I, I also belong to the you, to yeah, this yeah, union. Yeah, yeah, I'm so, a customer. So, yeah. So why are you fighting my appointment? Yeah, yeah. Should you not be supporting me? Yeah. And, but then they stopped fighting me. But the outcome of that was that they, um, made an agreement with, with the mine to say that, um, nobody without a, a trade will be ever appointed as a, as a, a planner in a planner position. Again, so that's one. So forward. we've made a mistake here with with Anna yeah, Marie, but yeah, let's not yeah. let's not repeat. Yeah. It. So, well, in, in in theory, they made a mistake. Yeah. Right? So it was difficult, um, you know, working as a planner, and then the people in the department, the artisans that were there, some supported my appointment, but others did not support my appointment, and they were very negative um, because of the appointment. So um, after my appointment, um, I, I kept on working there um, for another eight months, and then a position in the information management department became available as a training officer for um, computer training. Um, so in the meantime, in the eight years that I worked at, at, in engineering, you know, the mainframe system was replaced with computers, and people um, had systems like Quattro Pro and WordPerfect. And, and I remember of, WordPerfect. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. things of that came to the, you know, became available. And DOS. Started, yeah, we, yeah, so <laughs> that was when we moved away from DOS, actually. I see. Oh, so yeah. That was, that was yeah. the next step up. Yeah. So, um, and then, obviously, people needed to be trained on this and using computers and so forth. Uh, because using computers was foreign to most people. 
yeah. 90% of the people, it was really foreign. And some of us knew the mainframe systems, but, you know, it's like a, in Afrikaans, I call it a dom terminal. Like <laughs> it cannot, no processing of its own. Yeah. Um, and then they upgraded from WordPerfect, Quattro Pro, to Microsoft Office, um, Word, PowerPoint. Yes. The old nine yards. Um, and then um, there was a position available for training the people to use that. Um, and I applied for the position along with, I think we were 10 people that applied that interviewed for the position and, and I got the position, um, for which I'm very grateful. Is that, so that was, that was where this journey started, really started? It really started, yes. So um, I then moved to the information management department as the training officer and that was what I did and I, I really enjoyed it. Well, how, who trained you? So I was sent on courses, um, trained the trainer type of courses. You Those know. have been fantastic. I mean, you were literally, that's, as I said, the head of the game there. I mean, you could pick your, your spot in your industry in the country, I would imagine, at that stage. Yes, um, to some extent, but um, also, you know, for me, um, and, and I'm still extremely passionate about training. Um, I really like training people because it opens doors for people if you do training, you know, and, um, and, and it creates possibilities for other people by training them, by giving them the exposure and so forth. So that is one of my biggest passions to, to develop people and to help people to, to achieve something better and more in life than where they are currently. Um, so, so I first want to tell you this. So the first time that I had to drive to Pretoria to go and attend a course, so I lived first in Palaborova, then here, small towns. Whenever I did go to Pretoria or Gauteng, it was with my husband and he was driving. Yeah. So now I had to go on my own. So it was terrifying for me. I can imagine. I mean, if you if you never driven by yourself on a highway, yeah. So, but the highway part was not not was the it issue. The city, was it yeah. the city part? So you know, and those days there were not Google Maps and yeah, things yeah. like that. So you had a, a paper map there that you needed to use, and I needed to go to Centurion. So it was sort of driving almost right through Pretoria yes, to yes. get to Centurion. Um, so, and and I studied the map. <laughs> to know exactly where I needed to go. So when I came into Pretoria, when I passed some busy um, off-ramp, yes. I went into the left-hand lane because I, I knew I needed to, to go So <laughs> they think you're on your way to Vatbank. <laughs> no, no, no. Now I went into the left lane, yeah. the slow lane, and I drove there for, what, 50 kilometers? Oh, 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 <laughs> like you, you were preparing to turn left <laughs> 50 kilometers beforehand. So, um, so I drove the whole way until my off-ramp. I drove in the left-hand lane just in case. I was so worried I'm going to miss my off-ramp and end up in Joburg and things like that. So, um, and then... I attended the course, and then on the Friday when I needed to come home, um, I did take the long, wrong off-ramp. So I stayed in Centurion, and when I needed to come back, I needed to take the Joburg off-ramp to get onto the highway. Yes. And I took the Pretoria off-ramp. So in the middle of lunchtime, I drove right through the center of Pretoria oh my for, on my very first trip on my own. But I survived it. You survived? <laughs> what, what were your impressions that? I mean, what was going through your head? Was it just get through this or were you able to look around no it was more like surviving get get don't get lost yes. while driving through the city get to the other side to get home and, and get on the other side of the city without damaging the car uh. <laughs> so but yeah just a bit of yeah. some you know if you think back, back about things like that you realize how far you've come well you, you talk about and even that the I, I remember when we first uh, moved to the UK in 2004, 
we didn't have GPS systems. Yeah. There was no GPS. Yeah. I, I remember my boss said to me, go and buy a, 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 a roadmap. Yeah. I, I, um, a book. Yeah. And that's how I navigated. Yeah. Uh, actually, that, was, that was the other day. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I taught myself to use buildings um, as references ah. of, you know, at this specific building. I, I remember um, when I drove to the, the head office of XRO. I drove through, I had to drive, drive through Pretoria and there was a building where I needed to turn left to go to um, Ufias Road, you know, where, where uh, Iskur yes. head office was and it was an Olivetti building. I can remember it until today. There was a huge Olivetti sign on the building and I knew when I, you know, when I approached, I see the Olivetti sign and you I know, know it's your, it's your, I it's need your to turn, turn left here. Yeah. So just this coming quick story, remember going back to the UK, um, so we're in London now and, and you had this A to Z, it was again a book that you used to, to navigate London and, and I remember one of my friends said to me, um, if you ask a Brit, you know, to, for directions, you, you'll quickly realize who's the Christian and who's the non-Christian. So the Christian navigates by church. Okay. He'll tell you that church. And <laughs> he says the, the non-Christian navigates by pub. You see that? <laughs> so it's very similar. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, in, in, in being the, the training officer, um, at some point, um, decided that they will be the first, um, BU within ISCO those days still to have their own inter, intranet site, their own website. And I was tasked to do that. So, wow. yeah, so I did the very first intranet for Grutegeluk. Time for a did you know insert. Situated near Lepalala, the Groot Geluk open pit mine employs 3,200 people and produces 26 million tons of final coal products per annum. The mine has an estimated mineable coal reserve of 3,261 megatons. Some 22 megatons of annual production are power station coal transported directly to ESCOM's Matimba and Mudupi power stations on a 7-kilometer conveyor belt. Grootgeluk produces 2.5 million tons per annum of semi-soft coking coal, the bulk of which is railed directly to Mitchell SA. Approximately 1 million tons per annum of semi-soft coking coal and thermal coal are exported through the Richards Bay Coal Terminal. How did you, because correct me if I'm wrong, intranet and the internet as we know it started with the American Navy, if I, if I recall correctly. I think they were the first, that's where that original yeah. internet started. What was your, again, what, what was your benchmark? How did you best practice? How did you go about <laughs> figuring it out? No. So those days, um, there was very limited information available actually regarding things like that. You know, Google, I'm now talking in like 2000, 2001. Yeah, no, that yeah. was, it was yeah. I'm trying to think what was the search engine back then? Was it Google? <laughs> So, yeah, there were, but, but, you know, if you think today and how much information is available, if you go to Google or any search mm. engine for that matter, those days it was not like that. So, I literally had to design the whole thing from scratch. Um, I had software that helped me to, to develop it, um, and I maintained it. It was, wow. it was like my baby at that point in time, and I was extremely proud of doing this. And we were the first in ISCOR, in the whole of ISCOR, at that point True. in time, to have an internet site. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. But while I was, uh, you know, now doing the, um, the computer training and things like that, so uh, first of all, I, I did not 
study after school. You know, I went to work at the at the SINDF those yeah. days, um, and then at the point I got married, I did a year psychology. I, I studied psychology through UNISA, and then after a year, I decided that's not really what I wanted to do. But then I stopped. I didn't pursue any other degree or yes, anything. Yes. So at that point in time, I started to realize that you know, if I really want a career in in school, um, I will need to have a, a, a qualification. Yeah, a qualification. And then I started looking at IT qualifications, things like the Microsoft MCSE and things like that. But in those days, eSchool did not recognize those. They saw it as a certificate, you know. It's really? Just, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. It's yeah. our university. It's university yeah. or nothing. Yeah, yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and it was extremely um, expensive to do something like MCSE. Yes, um, yes. Even in those days. So, um, but then I realized, you know, spending my money on something like that will not benefit me or my career at that point in time. Um, and then I decided to start studying for a BCom degree through UNISA. So I again enrolled through the UNISA and I studied for a BCom in informatics, which is sort of IT, um, 10 subjects in the curriculum. I mean, maybe I know the answer to the question because I think that's a lot of the time the problem with, with, with um, universities, BCom degrees and so on. And again, I'm, I've been there. How did what you've learned on the ground and obviously information that almost didn't exist, what did the degree teach you? I mean, did you actually learn something? Was it, how did, you know, that, that classroom combined with the workplace? Yeah. So I, it, it actually taught me really a lot. So firstly, it taught me a whole lot of things about BCom economics and, um, you so know. So again, that opened a new world. Yeah, and management subjects. Yes. So uh, management um, was one of my majors. Okay. Um, yeah, management, management, marketing, and then the IT was, was my major. So again, it's where the IT fits into the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I really didn't. And, and about management, you know, up to that point, I was always just, I gave training or I was a clerk. You Makes know, sense. And yes. so, forth. so it exposed me to, to those things. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. So on the IT side, it, I had subjects like SQL and, and Delphi programming. Oof. And I knew nothing about programming. So I believe. <laughs> you scraped, scraped by those subjects, but yeah, it, it taught me the basics yes. of, of programming. And up until today, I cannot program, mm. um, but I can read other people's scripts okay. and I can find the, the errors in these scripts, wow. although I cannot code myself. That's interesting. Yeah, so, but that is what I taught, what having those subjects taught me. Actually. I see. It gave me a so, sort of a foundation. Yeah. Um, so then I started with that, but you know, at that point in time, um, I had two boys, um, and they were still small. One was in was in, in primary school; the other one was not in school yet. When I started studying part time, I had a job and all the things that oh, goes with that. Up. Yeah, um, but I had a lot of support from, especially my husband. You know, I um, I always tell the story that I can remember while I was studying for my BCom degree. Um, almost every Mother's Day, I was studying for for the because it, my my engine was when you wrote exams. Yes, so. Every single Mother's Day, I was preparing for for an exam, uh, and he cooked, you know, and he kept the children away and kept them quiet. And and I, you know, I really, really have so much, um, what's the word? Um, Admiration, ad respect. Yeah, um, and I'm thankful for, yes. for gratitude, gratitude for for the support that he gave me. Because without that, I would not have made it. You know, or it would have been extremely difficult, much more difficult than it was. Is, it, is your 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 husband? Um, it was this returning the favor because you moved to Alice Rice for him, or it's just how he's that's how he's built. That's how he's built. So. Um, 
I, while studying for my BCom degree, I decided that I wanted to do a master's degree afterwards. Um, I, I could skip doing a um, honors degree um, because of work experience. Mm -hmm. So I could skip that. Um, you know, and I came from, it took me the best part of six years to do my degree. Um, because it was part time, you know, and, and the support and, and everything that and, and all the um what's offerings, all the sacrifices. All the sacrifices that the family had to make for me to study. Um, you know, and, and we were, we just came through that and, and I finished my degree in September of two thousand and seven and in January two thousand and eight I started with my master's degree directly <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Um which was also part time obviously. So uh, tremendous support always. Um you know, supporting me to achieve my goals and so on. Um, so I've lost my own story, sort of. So let me rather go back to where I was uh, still a training officer. Training, training officer, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 it's my fault. We've digressed. So, okay, so you were training, you started become this world management, everything opens up, right? Yeah. So um, at that point in time, the, I was obviously part of the information management team, the bigger team, um, where there were specialists in. in in engineering, in plant and mining, you know, that worked with me, um, part of my team. So, and one day, my then boss came past my office and he said, come and walk with me. Um, we're going to the Sheikh Department, Safety, Health, Environment and Quality. We're going there. And on the way there, he said, listen, we need a solution analyst um, to support the Sheikh Department. I, I don't have anybody else, so this will be part of your job now. You will be a solution analyst. Um, <laughs> Ta -da. Yeah, and uh, I literally, you know, did not know. Uh, you know, I heard the, my colleagues talk about the job and what they do and so forth. But other than that, I literally had no idea what it would entail. Um, and then but it the, sounds to me you like that. I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. um, and I will tell you why now. But but then I reduced the amount of days that I trained so that I can accommodate that as well. Um, and in the end, I stopped training and I only did that. Solution analyst work, although I was not appointed as a solution, I was still appointed as what, a training what's a solution officer. analyst. So, solution analyst um, are the people um, usually in the mining industry, they've got positions. I can also call it a business analyst. Some industries call it a business analyst, it's sort of the same thing. Um, they are the people that do um, business requirements for new, if they've got new, a need for new systems or solutions. They are the people that will go out, find out what's the business, document the business requirement, get it signed off. So it's literally we need, uh, we need to uh, achieve X and we need this type of software or these are the three options of software. No, not even. It's like we, we've got a need to um, manage the, the incidents on the mine on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, we, you know, so we need a solution. And then you go and you say, okay, what, what must the solution do? Okay. You know, and and um, what workflow will you need in the solution? And then you go and find the software. Yeah. Or you, or you custom develop. I see. You yeah, work, you, yeah, yeah. So, make it fit. Yeah. So you then go and see if there's something out there that, that's like 80 or 90% fit, or you custom develop. What, what is the... Uh, Rule of thumb or average in the industry, uh, uh, is there more customization today's day or is it that specialization where you, you, you buy in the software it's, with it's, the support? It's very much 50-50. Is it? Yeah. What do you, how do you see the future? Do you think it's something that… No, all... it will stay like that. Um, it's, it's also about horses for courses in the sense that you've got platforms and, and um, big suites of software that addresses specific… Um, things like plant automation, as an example, or a mining automation, 
it's two different things, but there's established world-renowned software that already does that. So you will not try and replicate that yes. by, by custom develop, developing. But then, on the other hand, you know, there's other things for which there are not no platforms and, and suites of software, and then you decide what is available, does it fit your purpose or not, and then you decide custom develop or not. But in those days, um, so in those days we could custom develop. We actually had developers on site that helped us with the development. Um, and then for a long time, like 16 years, um, Exaro, let's make it 14 years maybe, Exaro decided that they will not custom de develop. They will buy off the shelf. No custom custom development, or if we do custom develop, we will do it by, through a third-party company who will, will have the people to do it for us. So it's only recently, like in two years recently, that we moved back to starting to custom develop and building our own reports and things like that. Is it because that, that I saw off the shelf is just too... It, it's not, it's, you cannot get 100% to, to your... To your the focus moved a lot to um, especially reporting. And if you do off-the-shelf and you've got a third-party company that supports you, uh, the problem with that is the turnaround time and the agility is non-existent. The agility is non-existent and the turnaround time. So what will happen on a minus? You've got a report, a, a daily production report, as an example. Um, and tomorrow somebody will pitch up and say, no, we need another column in this or, in, you know, whatever. We, we, we just want to change something in the report. We so want if, to see something extra. Yeah. So if you do it through a third party, you need it's, – it's a long process. I see. And it takes like three weeks to get this change in one report. By the time they, they've done that, they've already wanted another change. Um, so, and it just frustrates the people. The so, is that, is that the, the primary reason to, 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 to have in-house development is That's, agility? Uh, yes, That's literally the agility. And also, um, you know, when we started with the innovation drive within XRO, we realized that um, a lot of the needs that came to the forefront at that point in time, and I'm talking about 2017, around 2017, um, was difficult to find in off-the-shelf systems. So mostly you would find that you've got a 50 or a 60% fit, and then it's a problem to get it to a closer fit. Um, and then you actually need to custom develop, but in, in somebody else's system. So it makes it now even worse. You have to figure out, work around. Yes. Um, and then the move started again towards custom development. That's interesting. Uh, back to custom what, so, development. So you, you mentioned 50, 60%. What is... What is uh, if you buy off the shelf, is there ever hundred percent problem solved, or is there always? Or no. what, what's a good percentage of problem solved we, off the we, shelf? The, the the benchmark that we work towards is eighty percent. So that's yeah. that's yeah. good. But the twenty percent, you're going to still have to figure yeah. it out. Yes. So if you're very lucky, you might get a ninety percent. But um, exception. I've never been involved in anything where there's a hundred percent fit. So so, do you think that? I mean, what's interesting with uh, we talk about information data. So you have these minds that develop, as you said, horses for courses, right? So now they're developing their own in-house system. How much of that knowledge share goes missing? I mean, is it possible that some of the minds sitting with the world-class product actually um, that's way yeah. better than the off-the-shelf solution? Definitely. Um, and, and the problem with that is, um, or, yeah, that is that people don't, you know, when you custom develop, um, the... Um, people don't document properly and they don't keep records properly. So what you, what 
tends to happen, and that was one of the reasons why they moved, Iskola in those days moved away from that, is um, the lack of documentation and so forth. So the guy that built the system, developed the system, he's the one that knows the system. But when he goes on leave or when he leaves the company... So there's no it's contingency. A, it's an issue. It's an mm. issue. Um, so that, that is one of the, the, the biggest risks of, of custom development. Um, people don't make sure that they do keep documentation and and have a backup support plan and, and all of that. Um, whereas if you buy a, from, a, from a company off the shelf, you know, they need you've, to provide you've got, you. Yeah, you've they got need that, to provide you've got you. And, and, and it's one of the people go away, it's not your problem. They need, just need to give you somebody else. So again, it sounds you. like the, you need the, the bit of both. Yeah, you need a bit of both. But anyhow, so then um, I became the solution analyst for um, the Czech department. Um, we achieved a lot of great things in the, in the time. You know, there was nothing. When I started as a solution analyst for Sheik, there was no systems. There was literally nothing. So we were the first um, mine in, in Iskur those days um, that implemented the SharePoint um, server and the SharePoint system, which they use for ISO 9001 accreditation, quality accreditation. Yes. Um, so... You know, and we were a decentralized IM at that information management at that point in time. So, um, what it meant was we decided we need a server, we want to do this and that, and the next thing, and we did it like in two or three weeks. And we were up and running, and then it was just, you know, implementing, yes, yes. implementing the solution. We did a, a, what they call the core system, um, which is like reporting the incidents. Corrective action request was what CARE stood for. We developed it from scratch. Um, and we still use it till today. We've changed the name in the meantime, and we've upgraded the, the, the coding and things like that. Yes. But it, um, but it's still the same thing, you know. Um, I started the website, the internet, in in those days. So a lot of great things, um, uh, you know. That we what was the internet back then? It was just literally a place to store and share information. Yeah, um, so docu document templates and things like that, um, and also information about departments. Remember, on a mine, you've got so many departments, um, and for communication, like general communication and, and things like that. And, and, and to keep it secure, obviously. Yes. So, um, but if you look at the internet today, uh, you know, and you compare it with those days, it's like a Mickey Mouse <laughs> compared, to, compared to these days and what they're doing these days. But it was a start. We were the first mining school that ever did something like wow. that. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I was responsible for it. So it was exciting times. And, 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 and what, a, what a privilege to still be working with some of your implementations. Yeah. As you say, there's obviously it's, it's the process changed. You, but, uh, and yeah. the software, but yeah. ultimately. Yeah. So, um, and then I, after being the solution analyst for Sheik, um, they moved me to being the solution analyst for, for mining, which was a much bigger department, which was a department that was, um, was always, always had production pressure, you know, and, and so things needed to happen faster and uh, if a system is down. So solution analyst is also responsible for the first line support of all systems in, in a specific environment. Um, so they the first they know everything that there is to know about a system and they support the system. Um, so I had to learn the mining systems um, and the MRM mineral resource management systems, and then I was you know I started to support them instead of the Sheikh department. Somebody else took over the Sheikh department. So you were expanding. Yeah. So they moved as me far to your the, responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, to a department with more production pressure, where the Sheikh department 
there was not at that point in time not so much pressure. Um, and then I also got the engineering department, the responsibility for the engineering department, which is the department on with the most um, solutions, software solutions. N- number-wise, if you now just count them. So, Qu- just quantity. the most complicated. <laughs> no, they're not really complicated, but, but the most. But just a lot. Yeah, okay. a lot, okay. yeah. Okay. So, then I became um, responsible for both mining and engineering. What is a lot, by the way? Um, so, at that point in time, between mining and engineering, um, I was supporting 78 systems. Oh, my goodness. But it's from Tiniwini to... Yes. Really, really big systems. Um, they were involved in ERP systems. Um, they supported in ERP systems. It was only non-ERP systems okay. that I uh, was involved in the support for. Um, so it's almost procurement was was from from the ERP. So yeah, that's it, separate. Yeah, was even though my planning was originally that was procurement, wasn't yes. it? So that's almost to an extent. Yes, to to some extent, but it was more. Um, the ERP system was was um, supported by specialists. ERPC specialists, yeah. So, but the ERPC specialist—that um, was the only thing they wanted to do. Do ERP. They didn't want to do non-ERP systems. So somebody had to do. You know, in, if you look at the, the number of non non-ERP systems, um, and you compare it with one ERP ERP system, it's something completely different. Time for a did you know insert. Enterprise resource planning is a software system used by businesses to plan and manage daily activities such as supply chain, manufacturing services, financials and other processes. ERP software can be used to automate or simplify individual activities across an entire organization. Individual ERP applications offer software as a service while a complete suite of ERP applications forms an ERP system that can be used to effectively communicate and bring together business processes. ERPs connect every aspect of an enterprise, allowing for better performance and project management to help plan, budget, predict, and accurately report on our organization's financial health and processes. And then um, in 20... At the end of 2011, um, so... During the time that I was a solution analyst, and the reason I was moved from Sheik to, to the mining and engineering support um, board um, was that we went through uh, um, a restructuring in IM um, and that reduced positions um, in, in the IM department and so on. So, um, and then at the end of 2011, we again went through a restructuring. Um, and I again had to re- reapply for, for a job. So every time we go through a restructuring, you need to reapply for jobs, for, for your job, as a matter of fact. But then um, a new position became av- available, um, which was, uh, they called it the business alignment manager. We someone called it the BAM, the business alignment manager for growth and divestment projects, um, which was a, pro- was a position that, that looked after the whole of, Exaro then, we were Exaro already, um, with regards to project involvement in projects, growth and divestment. So I got involved in closing quite a, closing and selling off quite a couple of mines, um, but also in, in projects where we build new plants, acquire new businesses and, and so forth. Fascinating stuff. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I had to drive, you know, be away from home a lot. Because you're visiting or you have to be yeah. at all the yeah. sites. And that was long before Teams and mm. <laughs> Zoom. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So if there's a meeting, you need to drive there. And you need Look to be physically, the yeah. Yeah, physically there. But at that point in time, I completed my, my master's degree in IT. At the end of 2011, I completed that. Um, and then... Um, but while I was still busy with my master's degree, I said to my husband, I want to do a PhD. Yes. Um, Keep the momentum. <laughs> yeah, but then it took me three years to get a subject to write about for my PhD. So, you know, the whole time I was of the opinion that I, I don't want to write about something that everybody else is writing. I want to do something you know, unique. You just want to tick a box. Yeah. yeah. And when I became involved in the closure of Chikondini Mine, there, close to Bafuri actually, um, I wanted to research on how to close minds, and there was literally nothing available. Really? There was a lot of um, information regarding um, rehabilitation and things like that, but on the IT component of closing a mine, there was nothing, literally nothing. And then I did my PhD on, on so that. So tell me, because I, uh, I'm glad you say that, because I, I made a note here that closing and selling, but because I wanted to ask you, what are the, typically what what does a closing look like? What does it entail, and and what are the challenges? So a closing, um, and I'm not going to talk out of the, out of an IT perspective. Yeah. So it's different if you look at you know yes. the resource side of it and so yeah. forth. So let me say, yeah, what does yeah. closing from an IT perspective yeah. mean? So you need to decommission systems. You need to um, remove. Um, physical equipment, hardware, infrastructure. Um, you need back, to back up the data. I would imagine. Yeah, as, back as up the data. Of course, you need to dispose of of the old um, equipment. Um, so some of it you can reuse at other mines or whatever. But there's a lot of the things that you cannot um, reuse. So you need to dispose of them, and to and to environmentally friendly dispose of them. You know, putting the processes in place and and getting the companies that can help you dis dispose of of equipment in an environmentally friendly way because computers. Especially in servers, which is almost the same as a computer, has got a, um, most of the components is not f environmental friendly. I see. So you need to have processes, you know, to do that. And then um, over and above the uh, getting rid of all the uh, the equipment that you're not going to use again, um, it is also documentation and um, you know deciding what needs to, how long do you need to keep specific documents and how will you keep them? You know, if you look at um, HR information, it needs to be kept for 40 years. Really? Yes, it needs to be kept for 40 years. But if you now think, if, you know, we closed Chikondini in 2012, 13, 14, that time. So if you put something on a floppy disk those days, you would not be able to retrieve it now. So it needs to be technology-independent solutions that you use. But they, where they can still access the information in 40 years' time. And if you now think how quickly um, technology evolves and changes, yes. um, it's quite a challenge to do things like that. You know, looking at the archives and, and um, get the archives in, in, a, solu in a, um, a technical solution. When, when did the 40-year rule start? I'm not sure, but I know it's been in existence for... For many years. So, 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 so the good thing within the uh, in the twenty first century is you've, I guess, a mine is then forced to be as paperless as as, as possible. It or is, not but but then, so uh, there's still documents. Um, so there's still documents that that although they've put it in a SharePoint system or in whatever system, you know, they uh, made it techno technologically um, 
accessible, mm-hmm. um, they still need to keep original copies. Like the main mine plan, as an example, it's a huge piece of paper and it it's needs to be a paper still. So there's physical archives full of documents that they need to, to keep. You know, if you think of um, the, the medical records of, of employees, which they need to keep for 40 years, um, you know, things like um, x-rays, um, you cannot see the same. You now, you can now, but I mean, I'm not talking 10 years, 15 years ago. Um, the quality of X-rays uh, that you put into a solution was just not the same, mm-hmm. uh, and they could not afford that. So they did made it available in an electronic format, but they always needed to keep the original um, X-ray as an example. And, and I take it as because of long-term, uh, whether it be. I'm thinking of coal mine workers back in the day that got sick, and I guess for lawsuits, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And That's claims, why you, yes, yeah. and claims and things like that. Because the sports can, you know, yeah. eat the fan in ten years from now. Exactly. So in my PhD, um, I, I, I developed a framework for mine closure, um, basically a process that you can follow. You can use this process and follow it anytime, any mine, um, and it will really guide you towards closure, but you can also use it in, in under, other industries. So it's not specific to mining. So yes, it speaks to mining, but, but you know, it's generic enough so that you can use it to close a factory, as an example, or a, so under, is, other type of business. Is that, uh, so who owns the IP over there? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's between me and the university. Obviously, I, yes. I, I yeah, see. So, yeah. so is it something you've sold as a, as a, as a product? Is, no. Is a, you want to, you can't? Or you, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> so, no, um, you know, it's, at some point I was thinking of, of doing consultation um, in, in… Because of… Closure, yeah, and oh, using yeah. that um, enclosure. But, you know, I've been working at Grutegelik at for such a long time and, and my career… I, I, I always say my career happened to me. Mm. Um, it was not something I planned. You know, if I look back, I've never planned to be where I am today. Um, and in essence, you know, when I got that that um, computer training officer position, I really thought I've now arrived. I've now really arrived. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it it you know, but if I left the industry, it would not have happened to me. So, so it's an interesting point you make. You didn't plan, uh, or, or I guess anticipate. Uh, what 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 is the the secret then? I mean, obviously, the one thing that popped out was your inquisitive, being inquisitive, um, wanting to understand the whole picture. I mean, so for me, that's a, a critical you know mindset. It's a, a way of thinking. It's it's a good thing if you think like that. What else would you think? Because you did obviously, there's something in your in your armor that that was inevitable that you will end up here. It is doing. Your, your utmost best in the position that you are currently in and, and not leave the position before you leave. Mm. So a lot of people get to a position and then they already start thinking about the next position and they, you know, it's sort of, they're here but they're not here. They're in this position but they, they, they are focusing on something different. For me, um, and, and that is one of my messages to people always when I do coaching and mentoring mm. is that you need to do the best you can in, in your current position. Mm. Yes, you also need to prepare. You also need to study and prepare for wherever you want to go. Um, and in that, in, in that sense, a life plan is very critical for me. Something Every person needs a life plan. They need to know what they plan for the future, where they want to go. And yes, it can change. Mm. So it's not to say if I've got a life plan, it will work out exactly as my plan. But if, but, I, but if you aim at nothing... 
exactly. You eat nothing, so, right? So if you've got a life plan, you will study and prepare to go somewhere and achieve something. Mm. Yes, the path might differ in the end. You know? give us, would you mind giving us, a, I guess, a brief summary of a, of a typical what, what the life plan looks like, where, you know, especially with your uh, people you yeah. coach? So a life plan um, has got four components. The one is your, um, your family. So what are, what are you planning around your family? The other one is financial. Mm-hmm. What's your financial planning? The other is your career planning. And then it's your, develop, your own development, the plan for your own development. Um, and so many people think that, you know, they went to university and they got a degree. Now they are. They've developed. <laughs> yeah, now they've arrived. Well, they've arrived. They've they arrived. Arrive. I've got a degree, so what more do I want? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is just, just it's not the answer. Um, you, so continuous learning is, is very important. You know, I sent, um, I've got a group of the, the women in my team. The, we call it the Women in Mining Group. And the, just this week I sent an article to them where a lady that is 75 years old that never, never had the opportunity to study when she was much younger um, uh, obtained her honours degree. Wow. Yeah, at 75. Ne? And yeah. if you think about it, um, she's not going to have a career with, with what she studied and what she achieved. She's too old. Nobody will employ her yeah. for that matter. But she still studied and she's, she still achieved the degree. You yeah, know? I should say she sleeps well tonight. She's, yeah. she's, she's living life yeah. to the fullest. And, 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 and that, that for me, is inspiring. Mm. Um, you know, to, to keep on learning things. So, um, to give you an example, when I, when I got my PhD, um, most people said that, you know, now, sort of, now you've arrived. It's now, you know, now you can sit back and, and Enjoy the ride, sort of thing, mm-hmm. and um, the um, the um, ceremony for getting my degree, the Money. graduation ceremony, graduation ceremony, um, was in September, at the beginning of September, and um, in October I enrolled myself for a ne- for the next course wow. uh, in leadership. Um, it's a, it was a XRA course, but it was um, endorsed. endorsed by the University um, of um, Poch. University of the Northwest. Northwest. So, um, and then I started with that. Um, you know, so continuously. Sorry to interrupt you because I know uh, we talk as the Northwest University's business school is, is yes. one of my clients. Oh, okay. And yeah. they've got the Xaro. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, Thinking Fusion. Yes. That. So yeah. you're so, doing that. So I did it through Thinking Fusion. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So, but just to illustrate, you know, that I uh, directly after I completed you, you my just, PhD. Just keep yeah. going. So, so, because uh, that's actually, you've, you've answered, answered uh, part of my question. I want to say, what, what do you normally go for for that self development over and above these, um, I guess, more formal, uh, um, Training programs. Uh, what what else do you? You like reading? Obviously, you mentioned yes. earlier. I mean, yeah. YouTube is is my go to podcast. Is my go to. What what is your go to? So I, mean, I actually don't do much YouTube. I will, you know, I will do YouTube for inspiring clips and things yes. like that. But but not as a as a training. No, not but so it, much. But is there? I mean, can you find more technical stuff? In yeah, your, you can it? actually. Really? And I know, especially my children love doing going see YouTube to learn something if they want to learn something. I don't do it. Maybe it's just because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> picky, not <No>. old. Picky. <laughs> so, um, but if I, you know. 
if I give guidance um, on on um, developing yourself, I will always say, do things. Um, don't just go and do a, a, a diploma for the sake of doing a diploma. Do something where you do certification, um, where you write an exam and get a certification, or a degree, or something formal, something through the universities. And it does not need to be a, a formal um, degree, but you know, through the business school or whatever. So, because you know, when I look at CVs, when I interview people and I look at CVs, those are the things that I look for. I don't look for the for for the certificates that you got after you've attended the class for for three days. And I'm even not sure if you you, you listen, were there. <laughs> if you listen <laughs> or were you on your phone the whole time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sending WhatsApp. So yeah. if you certified or you wrote the exam, I I know even if you did not listen in the class, you had to yeah. study at least. Of course, you, you had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. So so that that is always. Um, the advice that I give people, rather than spending your money on, on things that will not really... Um, is, is that a problem then? Do you find a lot of CVs that, that, that they, I guess they try to, uh, let's call it shortcut uh, uh, personal development to an extent? I don't think it's, it's so much shortcutting. It's, it's, you know, you find people that want to build a CV. They're not building a career, they're building a CV. Got it, got it. Um, and, but unfortunately, you see through that very quickly. I, 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 I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. So um, don't build your CV. Mm. Build your career. Mm. Have a long-term goal. And, and when people look at the CV, they are not impressed by all the courses you've done. I'm now talking this two, three-day yes, courses yes, stuff. Fluff. Yeah. Do proper qualifications um, that really mean something, not only for your next job, but for your long-term goal mm. of where you want to go. Um, so those are the things that, that is really important for me. Um, so back to my career. Though. So after we did closure, I, I was in that position for three years. Um, and then we went through a restructuring again. But that sounds to me mining. No, it's the, not mining. It's information it, management. It's uh, is that yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, whole, so yeah. it was the, that yeah. department. So although I physically sit at Grutiglik Mine, I report to corporate office, to Israel's corporate office. Yeah. So then we went through a restructuring again in 2014, and I again had to reapply for a job. So at that point in time, they took away that business alignment manager job that I was in, um, and the only job that was available at that point in time was the eye manager for Grote Geluk, um, which was held by another person at that point in time. So being who I am, I said, what the hell, let's, let's apply yeah, let's give it a yeah, go. Yeah, I, I cannot be worse off than I am. <laughs> so it can only turn out better. I can only say yes. Yeah, and, and, and then I got the job. Wow. Um, and, and for the first time in my life, I was the manager of people. So up until that point, I was never, the man, I was never managing a team or other people. When, when did the coaching passion and developing people, did it start there? Yes. It started was that the first time that you really, uh, I guess, saw impact on uh, that impact yes. you have on your yeah. subordinates? So I, um, you know, before that, informally, people will ask, would have asked me, you know, give me some guidance um, because I was always studying. You yes, know, they, yes. they they will come to me and say, what do you think? What should I study? And things mm -hmm. like that. But mm -hmm. but very informal. But then when I started to have a team, you know, managing people and so forth, um, I also realised that there's there's a huge gap um, in that there's not so many people doing that number one um, and then then people mostly need to pay a lot of money to to get coaching or mentoring mm -hmm. um, 
and, and I saw the difference that it made in, in my team. So I started off with a team of nine people in 2015 in, in a new position. And my team is currently standing at 40 people. Wow. Yeah. So we grew tremendously. And the biggest reason for that is the innovation, uh, digitization and innovation drive for XRO because we were not staffed for that. So and again, that's the skill sets that, that, that's required, yeah. of course. So, um, so in 2015, I started managing people for the first time in my life. And then in 2016, um, the, the corporate office declared a Section 189, uh, which in, in effect means that they are again restructuring, but they are restructuring to reduce people. Okay. So the focus was reducing people. Um, so I was once again without a job. I was a, once again in a position where I... Did it ever get easier? No. The difference was in 20, 2016 um, was that I had now a team. So uh, my focus was worrying about my team. Yeah. So and, they, and, it, and it's your job to get rid of yeah, some of the so, people uh, at so the they, same time. So I was never involved in decisions regarding who, you know, okay, got, which okay. positions and which not and so forth. Um, but I had, at that point in time, eight solution analysts in my team, and the, the, they reduced it to four. So it was like 50%. But then we fought, we went and we said, you cannot do this, and this is the reason we motivated, and so forth. Yes. And then in the end, they only reduced two positions. But it still had a huge impact on the team. Um, so two people, in effect, in effect, lost their jobs. But yes. luckily, one person was old enough to say, I want to go on early retirement. Um, but still another person lost his job. So, um, you know, and, and, and something that I learned in that, in that journey was I never thought about myself. I never thought about the fact that I didn't have a job. All my worries and stress was about the people, you know, supporting them, getting them through this, because it's very stressful to go some, through, through something like this. And then in the end, at the end of the process, when, when everybody was sorted and we knew now, you know, who's going to leave and so forth, then only I, I sort of... You could relax. No, I sort of broke down. Broke down. Oh, so you were holding yeah. it together. And, yes, and, and, and then when it was sorted, I was like... And, and I did not, you know, I, I, um, literally break down. But yeah, but you, you, were, you were drained. Yeah, I was drained. Um, and then something that I also learned out of that process was the fact that um, the team that stayed behind, that did not leave, was upset with me. And, and uh, yeah, I was also, I could not understand why, you know, because I kept the jobs and, and yes, we, we all went through this difficult time, but now they was like really upset with me. Um, and then I spoke to somebody and the person told me that because I wanted to know why are they upset with me, you know, it was sort of, I, I gave my best to fight for yeah, everybody. And now this was very, very personal. And, and it's a survivor syndrome. So why did I not die? You know, why did I keep my job? Why, you know? That, that sort of thing. And, and you know, in the, in the seven years that I've been managing people, it was a roller coaster ride. And, and I learned so much about people. So you've got survivor's guilt mm. when it comes to restructurings. Yes. That's fascinating. I yeah. mean, I've, I've never heard of it, I guess, yeah. never I had this in-depth conversation. So, yeah. so here, here's, my, here's my question then. Uh, and again, I, I say I, I was retrenched in a 10-year corporate career. I was retrenched uh, four times, twice here, twice in the UK. So it's not, I didn't even escape it in, 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 <laughs> you know, in South Africa or in the UK. Other than the fact that restructuring takes place, obviously, because uh, it's for financial reasons. But do, does HR then truly appreciate 
the implications. And I guess it sounds to me almost your medium-term implication of uh, um, uh, staff morale, productivity. Now you've got survivor's guilt on top of yeah. that. I mean, do they appreciate or understand that, that, that the I, real… I think they do, but, but the decision to do this usually doesn't come from HR. They just the, the they look at the numbers. The, the, the they spread, just need, the to, execute. They does just the need to execute to execute it. So the decision to do this usually comes from much higher up in the company, um, and and I, I think they do have a appreciation of of the impact that it has on people. You know, it destroys the culture. Number one, um, there's so many impacts. Um, you know, people fall apart, literally fall apart uh, because of this. But you know, if you if you um, sort of um, look at the, uh, Section 189 or a restructuring situation and you compare it with uh, the COVID-19 thing. That I just want to say, yeah. this sounds like this, this whole COVID has been a big retrenchment in yeah, the restructuring, yeah. right? So it's, it's pretty much the same. Um, and the impact on the people is pretty much the same. So, so to summarize quickly there, what, what is your, I guess, your, your, your let's call it a five-step plan for, for leaders out there to deal with, uh, in this case, with, with, with the COVID restructuring, what to be aware of, you touched on survival, um, guilt, um, culture that's messed up. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. So what, what's the, what, what are those bullet points you, you, can, you can recommend so, to leaders out there? I think, um, and, and I will give you my opinion, but this is purely my opinion. Um, other people might feel, will have other things that they will think is more important to focus on. But for me, um, if you in the midst of this process, it's about open and honest communication with your people the whole time. Um, you must have a trust relationship with the people that are impacted, not the, only the people that are impacted, but with your team. Yeah, yeah and this is, not an, this is not HR's job. This is your yeah. job as, yeah. as the team leader. And, um, and, and they need to trust you enough to come to you in, in the difficult times, the personally dif difficult times. And you can only achieve that if you're truly open and honest with them about everything. Mm. Even if it's a difficult truth that you need to share, you need to share it um, to build that trust relationship. And, and by doing that, by being open and honest and sharing as much as you can, and obviously you come into situations where you, you're not allowed to share everything also. Mm, of course. So, uh, but as far as you possibly can to share with people and, and to take them along on the journey and, and you know, tell them what is happening, where it's, when it's happening, you know, what can we do, what, what can't we do. Um, you empower people to better handle it because most people want to know what can I physically do. We cannot just sit and wait um, and see what the outcome is. People want to do something. They want to be active and, and do something when they're in, in a difficult situation. Um, and you need to give them those things to do. You know, so what, what, what do you do? Because I mean, a lot of times, I guess, pe what people do is they get their CV ready and start sending it out. So, and, and that's not wrong. So that is one of the first things we, uh, I will say to people is, uh, yes. Gives you a bit of – is, is it because it gives you a sense of con being in control? Yes, it does. Um, one of the other things that is very important for me, and it comes back to the life plan that I spoke about earlier, is if you've got a life plan, you handle situations like this much better than the person that doesn't have a life plan. Because, because of having a life plan, you are, have been thinking about where you are going you have been preparing for a next career, step in your career. Or, yeah. So um, this, this becomes a stepping stone instead of 
the end. So this this makes takes the trauma so much out of out of the situation because you've already got a plan. So your plan is now changing, obviously. Yes. Um, and and you know things is happening over which you've got no control, but you have been planning. You you've got a plan, and now you can just go and and, and adopt your plan to the circumstances that you are in. Yes. Um, and it's so and and it it really helps people through through the trauma of of a section one eight nine a restructuring or whatever. Um, COVID. COVID, as a, it, it's a very good other example, example. And that's one of the reasons I promote having a life plan so much. Um, if you take any person that walks by and you call him and say, do you have a life plan? Nine out of ten will... No, they won't. They, they don't have a life plan. And, and those are the people that literally falls apart when, when disaster struck, if, it, if I can call it that, in, in whatever way it is. Whereas if you've got a plan, you're setting goals to, for yourself. You are actively preparing to go somewhere to achieve something mm. on a financial level. On you, maybe you've been saving to go on an overseas trip, but now you can use that money um, to assist you in, in the difficult times. Mm. Mm. But you have been saving, although it was not for a difficult time. But you now now you've got savings. Mm. You have been studying or preparing to go to to go to a next position or a different career, maybe. Mm. Um, you well, know. That, yeah, exa- and I think especially with COVID, there's a lot of people out of necessity had to change direction. Yes. But but because you have been planning and you have been preparing, it's not not it's not a shock. It's not such a, a big thing when, when it does happen to you. So 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 what what do you Again, just take us through the, I guess, let's call it the creation process. Uh, so how does that uh, day look like? You sit, sit down, you have a workshop. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the four uh, categories. Um, do you rev- how often do you review them? Okay. Um, do you so check, you, uh, refresh you, them every year? How, what's that yeah. process look so, like? So when you, let, let's take financial as an example. You will have a short-term, a medium-term, and a long-term goal. So next year I want to go to Tahiti or to Mauritius or whatever. But in five years' time I want to buy a house. And in 10 years' time, long term, I want to have a house that I can rent out. I want to have two houses yes. as, a, as an example. So if you look at the financial goal, you, it's short, medium, and long term. Um, what is that goal, number one? And what do I need to do to achieve that goal? I need to save 10 rand a month, every month, and then I can go to, the, to an island in mm. next year. Yes. Um, but to buy a house, it will take me – I need to do something extra. I will stop smoking and mm. put that money away to buy a house or whatever. So it's, it's always – in all four of those, it's also always short, medium, and long term. And what am I doing to, to achieve short, medium, and long term? So you cannot only focus on short, short term. You also need to focus on medium and long term. Um, to achieve your goals, and I, and I think that I, I I guess medium and especially long term is what uh, um, prohibits or uh, helps you avoid breakdown. And medium term to some extent, yes, yeah. yes. Um, you know, and and it's literally if you look at younger people, it's in, in many instances the people that I've been that I'm working with. It is I want to obtain a degree. Or an honours degree or a master's degree. It's not something that you can do in a year's time. It's a longer-term goal. But because it's a a goal, a medium or a long-term goal, they start working at it right now to get get it done. So if something happens, they're already on the way to to achieving it. Mm. It's not now now I'm running around to obtain a degree or a master's or honours or whatever. They're already busy with it. It's already directing them towards 
a next up career opportunity. So. It, it, it's fascinating, and I want to put it back to COVID and a personal, uh, I guess, observation. Something I, I, I knew, but again, you know, it's one thing knowing something and, and, and a different story doing it. But I remember now with COVID, we got COVID as a, as a family, and I, I went to a doctor that I don't really know because, I mean, we were out of the country for, for many years, and still now I don't have a, that, yeah, it's the family doctor. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't trust the first two doctors. Anyway, my point was that I almost felt uh, uh, more scared after leaving that doctor, now being COVID, being positive, instead of where I say a doctor should have 60% be placebo effects. In other words, because you trust your doctor and they say you're going to be okay, 60% you are okay because you trust that person. And and my point is, I said to my wife afterwards, where the pawpaw eats the fan, whether it be health, in this case health, you better have a plan before the pawpaw eats the fan because when the pawpaw eats the fan, you, you, you will be derailed. The, yeah. the, the fear will, will paralyze you. Yes. And in this instance, I was, was ever so slightly, I was a little bit paralyzed yeah. to an extent. Luckily, you know, we didn't have any yeah. complications, but I was upset with myself that I didn't have that, that clear plan for when that yeah. pawpaw eats the fan. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's a fantastic yeah. advice. And you ask me where, how, how often should you review it? Yes. So, my, my advice is when something change, you should revise it, obviously, because now you're changing direction. Yeah. But how often do you look at it? Because I know that looking at it also reminds you, it just keeps, keeps it. So, I look at, it, I, I look at mine quite often. Is it? But I know not all people will do it that often. So if people ask me how often should I look at it, I say when something changed. So you've got – and remember, if you've got a plan, you've got it in the back of your head anyhow. And any, yes, yes. Anyhow, you've yeah, got it you in the back of your head. You don't have to go and learn no, <laughs> to remember. No, you, because you took the time and the energy to, to create your plan. It's in the back of your head. So you know immediately when your, your plan is taking a different direction yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than what you intended. It. Then you go back to your plan and you replan. And, and my message is also the fact that it's taking a different turn is not wrong. That's life. Life happens to all of us. Um, you know, in Afrikaans, I say, it means, so you, you should have a plan, but, but it might turn out different than what you're planning for. Then you go back and you revise the plan. But say, for instance, nothing happens. Then you, your plan is going like you intended to go. Then you need to look at it every six months okay. and just say, am I on track? Is everything happening as I want it to happen? Um, you know, should I maybe fast track something or move something to long term rather than medium term or whatever? Um, so, so look at it like in at least twice a year. It's, uh, I think it was uh, Eisenhower, old American president, when he was they were fighting the Japanese. I think one of the famous quotes he said, planning means nothing or plans mean nothing and planning is everything. Right. <laughs> or Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan get punched in the in the mouth, right? <laughs> yeah, so but yeah, um I've learned so much since I started managing people um in my current position. Um and as I said, we went we came from a team of nine people and we grew to a team team of forty people. Um and you know, and I, I told somebody very recently, you know, when you get people together and you tell them, Listen, I'm now talking to you, I'm telling you this, please don't stress about it. They walk out and they stress. <laughs> <laughs> so is it is reverse psychology then the, the answer? <laughs> Go stress about it. I mean, I'll, <laughs> no, I think they'll so, do that in any way. Yeah, so you know, and, and how people respond to, to situations and so forth. Um, you know, and then sometimes um I'm envious of people that has got many years of experience of, of um, 
managing people and leading people. Um, but, but for me, the exciting part of it is I still learn a lot. You know, it's not like, yes, I've arrived. I now know, know everything that mm-hmm. is to know. But I mean, the human, the, the, the human being is such a complicated creature. How, how can you, you know, we're all figuring out and learning new yeah. things every day. So never mind if you, you're dealing with, yeah. with a room full of, of yeah, strangers and, to an extent. Yeah, and although I'm sitting, I'm, I'm in a, actually in a very technical position in information management, um, people and and developing people and training is still one of my biggest passions um one of the things that i that gives me flow I, people talk about flow but that is one of the things that gives me flow and i think what 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 is and it, and it's a message i guess for south africa which which uh, you know we're not and we know what the challenges are but i always i find it mind blowing that managers or leaders don't understand um, I think, I guess, especially politicians, that if you take care of the people below you, they will make you look good. So, and and it's, or even recruiting the person that's smarter than you. I always say, I, I cannot wait I to that. find people smarter than <laughs> I, I, I. I'll recruit them yesterday yeah. or, or know more of what mm-hmm. we're doing because I know they, we're gonna yeah. lift, they're yeah. going to help me lift the game. No, and, and that's that's we all want to do. Yeah. We want to move forward. Yeah. And, uh, and then one of my other passions um, is especially developing women, um, you know, coming out of the mining industry. So um, you mentioned the women in mining. So, so tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So, um, so women in mining is, is like my, my hobby, if I can call it that, <laughs> in the sense that, um, yes, there's, there's official forums in Exara, obviously. There's forums in South When did that start? Did you initiate that? The, my own one. Yeah, um, with the women in mining, the whole thing. I mean, as far as... Okay, in in IM, uh, we we actually gave it a name and officialized it only this year. Okay, so it's so not it's, been it's, long. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so new. the thinking was always that we should just be part of of the bigger thing. Um, but because my my ladies are mostly contractors, um, they cannot partake in in the official ones because they are contractors. And then we decided, then let's do our own thing. Okay. Um, okay. So. We've got our own little women in mining thing. We do our own things. We do upliftment at the schools, um, you know, and internally with our own, with that with the team, the ladies in the team as well. Um, and as I said, uh, I developed a course for women in mining um, that I took my own team through already. Um, give us a give us more framework about the course. How long is it? How long is it? What does it entail? It's, it's a three day course, um, and it's and it speaks to things like. Um, Financial managing, a life plan, um, how important networking is. Um, it, it also speaks to things like how do you handle, um, I'm now looking for the English word, um, um, it, it um, gives you guidelines on how to handle bullying in the workplace, um, how, how to read social um, environments. So you know. EQ, EQ. Yes, a mm. lot of EQ. Um, and also um, it, it takes you through um, it, it helps you to get to know yourself better. You know, what is my thinking style? What is my communication style? Um, and if you know that of yourself, it makes it so much easier when you start communicating with other people. If you know that my communication style is um, that I want something in writing, I don't just want somebody to tell me something. Yes, yes. You can now ask to say, you can tell people in a meeting, please put it in writing. Yes. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, not because I'm a, a, a poopal. It's, uh, that's yeah. my preferred. Yeah. I can consume it better. Yeah. So there's a component 
um, we spend quite a bit of time on, on getting to know yourself, um, you know, and, and, and what to do with the information that you gain through getting to know yourself. Because most people don't have that information about themselves. Wow. Um, you know, you're thinking preferences and, mm. and your decision-making preferences and, and all of that. Um, and then uh, we also actually do what to wear and what not to wear in the mm. workplace on a, on a bit of a lighter note, you know. Um, and it's not you, um, you should wear blue or pink or whatever. Yeah. It's more, you know, what is the correct way to dress in the mm. work? Because the younger people does not always know. Know that. Don't, uh, th- certain things we assume, right? Yeah. We think it's like my one friend says, common sense is not that common. Yeah. Um, and to have a sisterhood because it's, it's focused on women and the importance of sisterhood. And I spoke to that in, in, in when I did the keynote address at the Women in Mining. Yeah. And the importance of a sisterhood. You know, us women can, to, to put it very bluntly, can be very bitchy against each other. Um, and usually you see another woman as, as your competition, you know, and, and you don't want to be friendly with them and you don't want to support another woman. And, and if we don't support each other and we don't stand together in, in a work environment, we are worse off. Um, you know, it's literally, we will get much further and achieve much more if we can stand together and support each other. And I had the analogy in, in, when I did the speech um, about the lionesses. And, and it literally comes back to me. And I think about it so, so many times. You know, if you look at lionesses in the wild mm. and how they literally stand together, how they look off each other, how they help each other raise the cups, um, how they hunt together, mm. how they cannot re- really hunt effectively if, they, if it's only one, you know, how they need each other to hunt. And if we can, can you know, take that to heart and, and really stand together as women rather than trying to bring each other down and see each other as competition, we will achieve so much more sure. in the workplace. And, and, and the course also speaks to that. How, how often is the course? No, so this was a course that I've developed for the ladies that I presented to them, to the ladies in my team. Yes. Um, they really enjoyed it. They gave me input on things to so make you know, it better. So you know, you're tuning it now. Tuning it, yes. Um, and at this point in time, I have not presented it to anybody else. Um, but I wanted, you know, I wanted... So I saw there. a big part of it the other day with... with yeah, you saw, yeah, yes, you saw I was the, sitting, sister, yes. the sisterhood part, yeah, yeah. yeah to, to a huge extent. Um, and, and by doing... My, I think the thing now is that I've got a day job that I need to focus on. So the time and the opportunities to, to take it out there and, and to promote it is not so much at got this it, point in time. It. But I can see what the next step is. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear. Yeah. So... Um, and it speaks to my passion. They say, do what you like, and, and that's one of my passions. So, and I really enjoy that. Sure. Anna-Marie, I, I, I really enjoyed this chat. It is inspirational. I mean, I, I really – look, I always say I don't believe in coincidences in life, right? And, and, and you're one of the examples. Um, but again, if you don't aim at something, you're going to miss – you're going to eat nothing. People is the answer. Strong team, developing. So, well done. Thank you. Well done. And I would, I'm still going to talk to you about your women and mining. I think it's, uh, again, when it comes to training people, you, you have all my, all, all years. <laughs> but uh, I, I wish you, I, I hope this last stretch, is it, is it, are things calming down for you guys? Yeah. No, I'm going on leave on Saturday. Oh, nice. Yeah, for two weeks, just nice. going to relax and unwind a bit um, to be ready for next year and all the challenges that will come with next year. Um, already know about a few of them don't want to talk about them yet <laughs> but um, but yes um, but also excited about the things that will come next year well I wish you the very best and I hope 2022 is, is a super year thank you thank you so much
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast or this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share with friends, family and colleagues. And check out our Facebook page at Pod of Gold for what we're up to.